Orcas and salmon are friends that need help. Our ocean pals are facing some trouble. Less trouble, more bubbles. There's so much we can do. Do you know what I'm thinking? Let's start preaching extinction. and welcome back to the Breaching Extinction podcast. I hope you guys had a fantastic week. This week we've got a special episode for you guys. Liam, Shelby, and I do a Q&A episode and we have a very special announcement at the end so stay tuned for that. But I want to tell you guys our whale of the week this week. So we picked J58 Crescent. So that is J41's new daughter. So she was born last year. They did just find out that she's a girl. She is the only Southern resident that does have a mom and a grandma um in j pod there are a couple in l pod as well but she's the only one in j pod which is pretty awesome we do see and we did talk about this on our poor episode this week that the winds the whales with grandmothers tend to have a better survival rate so this is super awesome just a quick message from our sponsors and then we'll get to the episode this episode is brought to you by our friends at Blackfin Coffee. Blackfin Coffee is an e-commerce roasting brand based in Seattle, Washington, and I want to tell you about them. I was really inspired by the brand's focus initially to partner with PNW Protectors to lock arms and help save the southern resident orcas in the Pacific Northwest. For more information, visit them at www.blackfin.coffee. That's blackfin.coffee. For our listeners, Blackfin will be offering 20% off your first purchase with the promo code BREACHEXTINCTION20 at checkout. Again, head over to blackfin.coffee and redeem your promo code today. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Breaching Extinction. This week, we've got a special episode. I have Liam and Shelby here with me, and we're doing a Q&A episode. So fun. Um, awesome. So I will start with um, the questions that we have received. Um, so when I recently posted... Um, I have a question that says, uh, have you got, have you seen the Southern residents? If not, is it on your bucket list to see them? Um, I personally have seen the Southern residents and it still is on my bucket list to see them more from land. <laughs> yeah, I have not seen the Southern residents. I have seen a couple of Northern residents before, but not the Southern residents. So definitely on my bucket list. And like Erica, I would love to be able to see them from land. Uh, I also have not seen the uh, Southern residents or any or any cetacean in the world for that matter. Um, what? Yeah, I haven't. Well, I think I saw Dolphins? I think I saw a whale one time. It like way, way off in the distance. Uh, yeah, I think I was at Pacific City and I saw one. It might have been a, it might have been a. Uh, blue whale, well, blue or gray whale, I can't remember what it was, but yeah, uh, it's definitely on my, it's, it is without a doubt on my bucket list, um, there's a very slim chance of me going up to, uh, to the San Juans this year, um, Fun. and if it, and if, and if it is, I'm hoping I pr- could probably, uh, see them, but yeah, no doubt that is on my bucket list of things to do. 
I'm so shocked right now that you've never seen a cetacean or that maybe you saw a cetacean and we're not sure. And here you are doing all this work for the Southern residents. I know. Yeah. We need to start a campaign, like, get Liam to a cetacean. Yeah, seriously, yeah. guys, help us. He's in Portland. <laughs> Any of our listeners, please get Liam to a cetacean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Okay, so speaking of cetaceans, um, the next question is, what cetacean is your least favorite? So we all had to brainstorm at the beginning before our recording of which cetacean we hate the most. Um <laughs> Is sound of that? That's just sounds. Yeah, no. Obviously, that's. I want to be clear. I don't hate any cetacean. Yeah, yeah. Same here. I do not. I I do not hate any cetacean whatsoever. Yeah, no. I I think most people understand that. Um, I don't know. Like, I kind of feel like I. What did I have? I had. I think it was a. I was gonna say maybe, like. Oh, I was gonna say a minky whale, because like I've seen minky whales and like. Eh, just like doesn't do a whole lot for me you know like they're, they're just like shy right yeah they're just like going fast and i think that i like dolphins so much because they're really extroverted and i'm really extroverted and like we just have a lot in common just like noisy annoying <laughs> jumping around <laughs> so much energy all the time um but yeah uh i would say a minky whale just because they're kind of are boring to me yeah, no, no shade on the minky whale, but just not my not my <laughs> cup of tea. Yeah, mine is also nothing personal against this specific cetacean, but um, if I had to pick, I would say the false killer whale. Okay. Um, number <laughs> one, I feel like they just look kind of shady, like you can't trust them. But also, um, when I was younger and like first introduced to them at like marine parks, and they'd like be like, "Oh, this is the false killer whale." I'd never understood why they were named that. And I was like, did the guy who discovered them, was he like, oh, that's a killer whale. Oh, just kidding. And I was like, they look nothing like a killer whale. How could he make that mistake? So I just never understood it. Now I know it's like based on their skull characteristics, but it's just something that stuck with me. That's really funny. I kind of like thought the same thing. Um, My friend Dane was just telling me that he like heard someone um call a false killer whale like a pretend orca or something like that and like (laughs) say that seriously like a serious term which i thought was kind of funny um amazing it's funny that you like you're like they it looks like you can't trust them that's how my friend feels about bottlenose dolphin really yeah she's like they're so shady i mean they are like they are shady they're like they definitely like look all cute but like they do some weird stuff that's for sure they have like that um that little smile going on that makes it look deceiving yeah the false killer whale like they're just like are you is that who you're talking about the bottlenose the bottlenose yeah they're like they're just smirking okay liam what's your least favorite cetacean uh oh wait a minute hold on no i made a mistake i have seen cetacean i i have seen cetaceans in the wild and up close too okay so you are the false killer whale is what you're saying (laughs) (laughs) um but no it's not killer whales but i did i'll i'll say it in a second uh my least favorite um cetacean is the uh melon head whale okay yeah melon yeah melon head melon 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 head whale yeah because well for one it's got the it's got a weird 
It's got a weird Joker smile with like white with the weird white lipstick. Uh, white lipstick, amazing. <laughs> it is. They have this weird thing across your mouth. I don't understand what it is. Um, but yeah, it's just well, for one, that why are they called melon heads? If like every single cetacean has a melon head, true. They look like. I guess they kind of look like a false killer whale that was like in early development that just kind of abandoned whoever was making it was just abandoned, just abandoned the project. Okay. And it all of a sudden came to life. Like just, just basically like a false killer whale made out of just old design documents with no like Amazing. With no, with no like, like patterns or something. That's the best way that I can, uh, that I can describe okay, it. Okay. I just, Liam is throwing real shade at the evolution of this whale. Yeah. That is <laughs> mad shade. Okay, so I just Googled it because I'm realizing I've never, I don't even know what a melon head whale looks like. And I do understand. I'm looking at this white lipstick. I'm scared. Yeah, doesn't it look bizarre? It's just, why? I don't see any. Okay. All right. That is funny. So lots That's of feelings funny. for the melon head whale. Okay, so I was Googling that and I didn't, I hit the wrong button and didn't type whale out. And the first thing that comes up on Google search for melon heads, which I feel like we just should talk about this because it's here now. Um, it says that in American folklore of Ohio, Michigan, Connecticut, and Connecticut, melon heads are beings generally described as small humanoids with bulbous heads who occasionally emerge from hiding places to attack people. Different variations of the legend um, attributes are, are origins to the entities. Okay, so basically, melon heads are scary in humans and whales. <laughs> <laughs> So, so it's some weird uh, humanoid. Yeah, thing. that's what it said. Which this was, I just was like, oh, that's so interesting. That like I just I meant to type whale and I just hit enter on accident. So there we go. Melon head heads cannot be trusted. They can't be trusted. No, they cannot be trusted. They are shady as hell. Yep. <laughs> um. Okay. This is honestly <laughs> amazing. Um. All right. What is on your screen right now? Liam's showing us something terrifying. Something terrifying, exactly. That's what I thought. You typed in just okay. Like melon head. All right, I'm gonna just take it off. Amazing. Okay, so moving on. Next question. What is your favorite shark? Um, I think for me, I'm gonna have to go with a blue shark because this past summer I had a really cool encounter. Um, watching a blue shark feed on a sunfish um and i saw lots of blue sharks this past summer so i would say that those are my favorite cool um i do not know a ton about sharks but um my favorite shark is the whale shark okay i just think they're like really majestic and i love their coloring and their patterning um yeah and they just kind of like I think usually they're just by themselves, uh, like just cruising in the ocean, and they just look so chill and peaceful. Uh, my favorite shark, without a doubt, is the hammerhead shark, particularly the ones from uh, Australia that are super massive. Um, I think the the I think the way that they have evolved is really fat is really fascinating. You know, sometimes I always wondered where the how they're what their brain looks like and where it was. Um, yeah, I'd say it's no doubt it's the hammerhead shark. Just for how 
like how interesting it looks. Nice. So what's up with their brain? No, I don't know. It's just, it's just. I was, I always wondered, like, where would it be? You know, being that their head was so, yeah. so flat. You know, but I think it's probably like further back from the, um, probably like further back from where their eyes are. Nice. Interesting. I always like when I first moved to Florida. I thought the bonnet head sharks were hammerhead sharks, and they're not. Those are totally different. Um. But those guys are pretty cool, too. Sharks are pretty cool. Sharks always get a bad rap because people are like, oh, my God, they eat us. But the truth is they'll just spit you back out because you're not in their diet anyways. And so you just hope that that bite is not fatal. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I love the whale sharks, too. I thought about saying whale shark, but I like the blue sharks a lot. I am actually going down to Mexico to do a citizen science project um, in September with whale sharks. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'm super yeah, they stoked. Are, I agree. They are absolutely majestic. Yes. Um, I think one, other ones, uh, swimming with one, one time. Yes. That's, like, one, one of my bucket list animals is that, and then, like, manta rays. Like, I want to see a manta ray in the wild. Um, okay. So what are your what are your bucket list animals that you guys want to see? I would say, for me, it's the, the whale shark, obviously, manta ray, um, I saw a rhino from very, very far away. And when I say that I want to see these animals, I want to see them in a responsible way, as always. Um, probably a tiger as well, a wild tiger. I think that's... Oh, a platypus, for sure. I would say that those are my top oh. five bucket list animals at the moment. Amazing. Yeah, I would... Um, not No specific cetacean um, specifically, but... I would love to encounter a cetacean while scuba diving, oh like God, just yes. from admire from a distance. Um, like even if it was just dolphins or something, I think that would be a really cool experience. Uh, definitely a southern resident orca. Um, more <laughs> dolphins than, yeah, more cetaceans than just the uh, one uh, pod I saw seven years, no, eight years ago, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, leatherback sea turtle, I'd love to... Uh, I'd love to uh, snorkel with a leatherback sea turtle. Um, yeah, I think it's just, I think it's just that. I think a Pacific white-sided dolphin, definitely. Um, blue whale. Uh, maybe, maybe a sperm whale? Uh, maybe. Maybe, yeah, maybe a sperm whale. All the whales. All the whales. All the whales. Apparently, like sometime last year, they heard sperm whales off the hydrophone in Monterey. Like, Aww. just, like, a bunch of them. And apparently, my captain was saying that it, like, very, very rarely happens. He's been working on the water for, like, I was going to say 40 years, but I know how old he is, and that's not true. <laughs> I, I always, I, I'm so bad at guessing people's ages. Pro okay, so he's probably been on the water for, like, 30 years. And, like, he's, like, I've only seen sperm whales once. I still haven't seen a blue whale. That's on my bucket list, too. But we get leatherbacks in Monterey, Liam. They come all the way up here. That's, oh, like, really? yeah, that's the one animal that I've seen... Um, I, I saw them in Costa Rica and then I saw them here. I did like a leatherback, um, conservation trip in Costa Rica and was helping oh. with like some projects on that. Um, but like, that's yeah. like one of the animals that I've kind of seen, like not, it's kind of like a humpback where it's like, like, yeah, I've seen them in like Northern and Southern parts, but it's like different populations go places. So like, technically I haven't seen them in different parts of their home range, but like also kind of have, you know? 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Definitely. Yeah, I got to head down to Monterey. I think I went there. I went there like a very long time ago on some road trip with my family when we were kind of driving around the San Diego area. I think we were just, we stopped, we were passed by and we were there. I think it was just for the, um, for the aquarium, uh, for the aquarium, which I have a very like blurry memory of. Yeah, for sure. No, Monterey's awesome. Tons of wildlife here. Um, yeah. All right. Sweet. Yes. Okay. Um, a question I got a while back was, um, how did you get into this field and what inspires you? Um, so for me, I've always been like around animals, always loved animals. That was always my thing. My brother like, likes to remind me that I was always like the weird animal kid. Um, and that like, I did not care about like dolls or things like that. Like I always wanted stuffed animals and I always wanted to go to the zoo and he was like, and you were always the weird kid at the zoo who, like, wanted to look at the poop to figure out who pooped as opposed to, like, <laughs> other things. And so that's always just kind of been in me. And I, like, um, like I grew up going to the Columbus Zoo. That's, like, how I got in touch with, you know, learning about animals. That's where those connections were made. And then um, I volunteered there. I started volunteering at the age of 14 and um, got a scholarship to go study church – or study pan- – pandas not pandas polar bears in churchill manitoba canada um and i remember like learning and meeting from biologists there and like then we saw a wild polar bear and i was like yep this is it like it's a done deal like this is the path that we're taking and so then i went to college um and took advantage of as many research and study abroad opportunities as i could and it definitely wasn't easy because i don't have you know, a stable economic background. So I applied to scholarships and was very fortunate to get them um, and be able to make that happen. Um, But I just, I don't know, it's definitely, this is like a hard field to sustain yourself in and like to stay in because it's hard to watch things kind of like die, but I'm always, or like not die, I guess in a sense, but it's hard to watch the planet suffer, but I'm always inspired and motivated even when it's like hard on myself and just like hard to see the state by the animals themselves so it's like the southern residents that's like what inspires me to keep going and the salmon and then all the amazing people that are in the community around these animals too so it's a very long answer but that's my answer i think these answers yes they are a bit longer yes <laughs> yeah um i'm not sure like what field they're referring to specifically like did they say specifically? Oh, like, well, they just said, like, like, inspired you to, like, do the work that you're doing. And this was, like, I think before I brought you guys on that I got this question because I was going to do another Q&A one and then I just didn't get around to it. Yeah. Um, other interviews and stuff came up. But um, just, like, I guess, you know, how did you – you could – just, like, how did you get into working around orcas? And then, like, I guess for you, Shelby, like, how are you inspired to do the work that you do, like, with your PhD and how does that relate yeah. to the orcas? Yeah, so – I guess, um, similar to you, Erica, like I've just been super passionate and drawn to killer whales since I was really young. Um, and it's like a passion that I've always circled back to. Um, and then I've also like always loved science. So I originally went and did my undergrad in animal biology, thinking that I wanted to become a veterinarian. And then, uh, during one of my courses in undergrad, I was introduced to the topic of epidemiology. Um, and then that led me to explore, uh, epidemiology a bit further. And I discovered some graduate programs available 
which are actually run through the vet college um, in my province. Um, so for those who don't know, epidemiology is the study of the frequency, distribution, and determinants of health and disease in populations. Um, so basically like study of health, but at the population level, not the individual level. And I really like that I can apply the skill set I have to a variety of specialties and different species, um, both animals and humans. So it's kind of diverse. Um, and though my PhD research right now isn't like related to orcas or something, I hope to be able to in the future um, be able to, yeah, apply my knowledge and help endangered, endangered populations. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah. So I guess my, yeah, my uh, spark into it, I think, was, uh, yeah, I haven't, you know, I have, I don't have any kind of, you know, field, and I never had a field in marine biology, but um, I think what sparks, you know, my work into into helping to uh, save the southern residents was, I think, hearing about uh, Luna's story, which, if I'm honest, I thought. Uh, he was uh, a transient, or a big, not yeah, just a transient. I thought I thought he was a transient, not an actual southern resident. Which, southern resident, which I found out I think a few months ago. I was like, oh my god! Uh, but yeah, I think through I through him I learned about the southern residents, how they're endangered, and you know why and why they are endangered, and. I thought honestly, when it first when it first all began, I thought this was just going to be um, just a, a, a kind of a an interesting hobby that I'd have because I'm probably gonna I'm gonna make a post sort of alluding to some of this, but um, I, I kind of thought that this was just going to be a hobby that you know oh just I'll, you know I'll follow it it kind of yeah. looks interesting and then you know, later on, just kind of forget about it. But it's evolved into just something so much more. I think what actually got me to make a noise about it was uh, hearing about what the U.S. Navy was doing. Because I remember for the longest time now, I was, you know, I was thinking of of not necessarily joining the Navy, but joining some branch of the military. And so when this hit me, I was like, wait, what? And so that... Yeah, and so I just kind of winged it, um, kind of Instagram, kind of reposting some stuff, and then I decided to do my own research because I thought, well, maybe, you know, because it seemed like a lot of the stuff, what exactly they're using wasn't talked about very much, and so I wanted to see what they would be using, and then that's, I posted the first series I ever did was about some of the weapons that the U.S. Navy would be using, and that... And I think through, I think it was through tagging, I got the attention of of people from Pacific Northwest Protectors. Um, and then later on after that, um, then I started, you know, learning about what the dams were doing to the salmon and how important they were to the entire Northwest ecosystem. And I was like, and then I was learning about that. And then I stumbled across this podcast this podcast and the episode where Jim Waddell was on here and I, and I, and I was like, wait, why? Cause you know, when he was talking about the history of how this came to be. So I wanted to get down and see what, you know, why, 
you know, why they came, why they came to be, and then the, I did my second mm-hmm. uh, series about the about the dams, and then that's also got attention. Then that's what's also uh, ended up getting me on here. So yeah, it was just um, it just kind of it's kind no of evolved into this whole other uh, thing. Well, more than that, it's probably uh, probably something that's going to define me now. I think. Very, you know, it's very important, and it's kind of su- and it kind of sucks that um, that I still haven't. I've seen. I, I'm not. I'm not lying that I haven't seen a Southern Residence. Okay, I'm serious about that. <laughs> but it's like, yeah. Um, I think it's interesting. Like we all have such different backgrounds, but it's definitely like advice that I would give to people is just following your passion. Like your passion is what you're going to work hardest at, and naturally lead to opportunities and um get you to where you want to go yeah I agree with that and I think it's you know it's interesting how Liam you were just like this is going to be a part of my identity now and like like I definitely I don't know for me the the word identity is like maybe not like what I would use but it definitely is like a part of me I guess yeah that's what I mean like it's like like definitely it's like in my heart and I I've talked to a couple people recently about like you know, being passionate or being in, in kind of an activism role or things like that. And it's like, you know, it can be exhausting and things like that, but it's hard to just like not do it. And like Shelby's totally right. Like it's way more fulfilling to follow your passion and, you know, there's potentially struggle and hardship that comes along with that. Like it's so hard to watch the Southern residents in the state that they're in, but like, I wouldn't trade it for anything, you know? Um, But, yeah, it's funny how, like, these things just become a part of you. And, like, I think that's one of the things about the Southern Resident community that I've kind of noticed a theme is, like, you know, there's a lot of people that are, you know, they either grew up around the ocean or they didn't. Like, Liam, for you, you're in Portland, so, like, you're, like, an hour and a half away from the ocean. But, like, still there's something that's, like, intrinsically, it seems like, in you that's, like, orcas, you know? Um, Which I I think is so interesting. I mean, I had, you know, my mom was... She scuba dived like religiously before uh, before she had me, um, and yeah, because I'm probably yeah I'm probably I was gonna do a post kind of about how I how I how I got to this point, but I just yeah I remember just for the longest time you know because I thought because I thought I was just going to be you know. The pilot, just a mechanic, just this gearhead who might, might, you know, might have, you know, a really good career. Because honestly, this was, it was what I thought I was, I was good at, really. Um, and then I found, and then, yeah, I found this. So I'm sort of in a bit of like trying to figure out how to build some kind of a, of a connection between the two. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. That's kind of that's kind of where I'm at right now. It's kind of hard, um, and I don't know where it's going to end up taking me. What I don't, I think, what I my biggest fear about all of this is whatever happens in the whatever happens, which I'm, you know, we are we will we, we will save them, but I don't want what I'm scared of is just we save them and I say. Well, that was that was that was fun, but whatever. I'm just going to go do this now. That's what I'm afraid of. 
and I'll I don't think that will happen. Yeah. I don't think so. Like, there's too many people that are dedicated to this, and there's too many people that are, like, well-informed. And I remember when I, like, met with Giles, and I was, like... Because, like, this project originally started out, it was going to be, like, a 12-episode thing, and it just, like, briefly touched on economics, social issues, like, all of, like, the, you know, the 12 main facets that I thought that there were. And Giles was going to be my science contact, and she was, like... Yeah, we need to remove the dams and like listed off so many other things. And I like, she's like, we can't stop there. And like, I don't think that anybody's gonna stop there. I think a lot of us see the dams as like the first big thing that we can do. Um, But like, I mean, this could very easily be like a life, another person's lifetime, you know, worth of work. Like, all these other scientists have put a lifetime into studying how we fix it. And then we could be the, you know, the group of, of people that do fix it. But, like, I really, like, like you know, people aren't going to, like, spend all of their time trying to help and save an endangered species and then just, like, you know, float off when it's, when one part of the piece, you know, is done, I don't think. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I, I don't. I, I, it's I, too I, complex. too complex. It's very, it'd be too much of a sacrifice to do something like that. It'd be too, I mean, yeah, it's gotten to a point now where it's like, I can't, you know, it, it would, it, it wrecked some part of me if I did, if I did that. So I, yeah, it looked like I can't bring myself to do it. No, I and also, feel you. Oh, go, go ahead. I have a side note. Yes. I don't want to sidetrack yeah. you. Um, um, yeah, go say your side note. Okay, my side note is that, Liam, it's funny that you mentioned Luna as, like, your big inspiration because today is the 15-year anniversary that she was, or that he, sorry, um, um, not to do it for the mood story, but that he was killed by the tugboat. Um, so today's the anniversary of that. Yeah. And for... Um... Anybody who's listening to this that needs a little bit of context, if they don't know who Luna is, Luna was a Southern resident killer whale that got separated from his pod. Um, There's a really wonderful documentary called The Whale that really talks about his life and the struggle of that. But this whale really strived for connection with something and he chose humans. And so he tried to make friends with humans and um, scientists got involved. Indigenous leaders got involved. People did not see eye to eye on what they should do with this whale. Some people thought they should just let Luna do what Luna wanted to do. And other people thought that that was unethical. Um, and ultimately what happened was Luna was killed by a tugboat. He got a little bit too close to the propeller. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, Luna's story, it's, it's, it's a few things, but I think the most important, I think the two biggest things are, is, uh, uh, that for that, that, there is a connection, obviously. There is a connection that, you know, humans and Orca have. We just got to, like, you know, figure it out in a way that keeps them safe mm-hmm. and doesn't, you know, corrupt anyone. That's number one. And number two is that is that it's a cautionary tale of what happens when when there's drama or or, like, internal conflict in this mission to save them. Because, you know, it it can end up leading, it can inadvertently uh, end up to one orca or a bunch of orca being killed. Which we it's still why we deal with. Have conflict in a movement like this. Yeah. yeah, we can't be selfish. 
Yes. We can't be. We can't be. And that's, I think, what it comes down to, really, because I was, like, trying to, to talk to my friend because, like, the whole whale watching thing has come up so many times. And it's, like, on the forefront of conversations that I have with so many people because it, it's, like, you know, the policies are new and, and all that stuff. Um, and, well, they're not new, but they were they put new ones in. But I was, like, talking to a friend of mine and I was, like, I really don't understand why at this point so many people are fighting to watch the southern residents when there's no science to support centennial effects when the science clearly shows that we should just leave them alone why is the industry fighting this hard an industry of people who come from you know a science education background like they they should know how to read a paper you know and are denying the truth of 20 years of papers like it's not bad to watch whales and that was a one question that i did get to which i can kind of answer now um someone was like so is whale watching good or bad and, and it's not like, it's not black and white. The only thing that's black and white in any of this is the orcas, honestly. But yeah. <laughs> um, it's like there is responsible ways to whale watch, which is why I still do continue to work in the industry, because I believe there's so much potential here and like that we can do it right. And like that we can have a lot of impact for these animals. However, boats that get too close or industries or areas where there's too many boats around the whales um, or if they approach them very fast or head on, like if you approach them kind of like from behind at like a parallel angle, you slow down. There's only like two boats around most species and you're at a distance of at least a hundred yards is like what they say for most marine mammals in the United States. However, there are specifications for the endangered ones. Um, then it's okay. But yeah. Um, but I was talking anyways, coming back to the conversation with my friend, I was like, I don't get it. And she goes, well, like, because she works in whale watching too, she goes, well, like, we're being selfish. She goes, I know that it's selfish that I work in the whale watching industry. Like, I work here because I want to be around the animals. I know that it impacts them. And, like, you know, she, I would say she works for a fairly responsible company. And, like, you know, they try their best and everything. She's like, like, I want to minimize the impact that I have on the whales too. But, like, ultimately it seems like everybody up there just wants to watch the whales because they want to watch the whales. And, like... There's so many, like, selfish things that I see happening, like, that, and then, like, other people, like, I don't know, like, I was trying to have this conversation with someone, like, I don't, like, and I don't, like, I don't even know how to begin to, like, talk about this because it's, it's hard to put words to, but, like, I, I feel like there is a culture in marine biology and there is, like, an orca culture, and I've seen some people come in and try to capitalize off of that or make money off of that like for personal gain or come in and, you know, try to like take, you know, from what other people have done and, and, and make money for themselves through it or take pictures of the whales and not speak up for the whales. Um, and then like sell, you know, merchandise that is Southern resident killer whale related without any of it going back to that. And like, I like was trying to talk to someone. I was like, I want to say that this is cultural appropriation, but I don't know if that's the right word because I know that that's so serious. Like, um, but I do definitely think there is a culture here, but, um, I, yeah, I think that we need less people to be selfish, um, and like come together and like really think about the whales like are our actions are the things that we're doing for the southern residents like really for the southern residents are we saying that regulations are bad because of the southern residents are we saying that like we should sell this gear because of the southern residents like are we saying we should get this picture because of the whales like no you know no yeah, yeah. we all need to come together to make sustainable solutions so that we can hone the passion that we have towards them for future generations to enjoy but in a again more sustainable 
way. Yes, I think in so. More, yeah, in a more sustainable and a more protected way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I think we can get there um, eventually. But I think, like, what you're saying, like, Shelby and Liam, like, you guys both brought up, like, Liam, you were highlighting the conflict that happens, and Shelby, you're saying that it shouldn't happen. And, like, I truly believe that that's how we get things done. Because, like, I, like, you know, through this podcast, I've been able to network with so many people in this community. And I, like, will have people call me with different information or ideas or to bounce ideas off of me. And so I kind of feel like I have this unique lens if I see what other people are doing. And, like, I have, like, a certain level of, like, knowledge and the other people aren't communicating with each other so they don't see what they're doing and I'm like we could totally optimize this and like you need to talk to this person and you need to talk to this person and then we can all like do better but like so many people are are worried about other things and I just like somebody was just telling me that there was an organization who told their interns not to talk to interns from another organization up yeah and I was like that is incredibly petty and ridiculous of of another Sorry for interrupting, but, like, of another, like... Orca group, yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. right? (laughs) Liam, the high schooler, is like, oh, my God, why? Yeah. Um, (laughs) It's ridiculous. Yeah, like, I feel like, like, you shouldn't... Just because that you disagree with someone, like, that's not a reason to not talk to people, you know? Yeah. No. It's more of a reason almost to talk to them because... Yes. Yeah, we are. Yeah, you learn about that person, and you see... You see, not just you see, not just why they think that way about something, but also how they can think about something that way. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think that's the especially important thing because if you can see how a person how a person thinks that way, that's that's the best way that you can understand them. Yes, being you, able to empathize that, is a valuable yeah. skill. Yeah, because you can piece together the why if you figure out the how, and then you can build bridges off of that. Yeah. And, like, I think at the end of the day, we have to remember we all have the same goal, you know? Um, same goal of saving the Southern residents. Yeah, yeah, and, like, Jim and I had discussed that last week of, like, because, like, he has, I'm pretty sure he has a boat that, like, well, he said that his approach used to be that he would go out and, like, be on a boat and like yell at people that were whale watching or and like you know he had a lot of like anger and things like that and to go from yelling at somebody on a whale watch boat to sitting down and having a conversation and working together on a project because that like ultimately we want to save the southern residents and this is one thing that we don't see eye to eye on like I think that just like shows anybody can do it if the guy who literally used to yell at people and the man who literally has like gone to jail for you know, activism can sit down and have a conversation with the person on the other side of the table. Literally anyone can do it, you know? Yeah. I think of just like that, like another instance is like past, um, like SeaWorld trainers now working with the Whale Sanctuary Project, taking their knowledge of working with them for so many years and um, honing that into creating the perfect or not perfect, but the best environment possible for them. Yeah. Isn't like, yeah, it's so amazing how people can do that. And I think of like when I was in Costa Rica working on the Leatherback Sea Turtle project that there was one of our like leaders there that was working like with the conservation group. Um, He was previously a poacher and he didn't want to be a poacher, but he didn't have another option. And then he was able to take that poaching knowledge and actually work to conserve the turtles that he actually used to kill. So yeah, which is incredible. Yeah. 
parts are incredible. So we can make changes. I think that's the thing is like sometimes people will get stuck in like I did this thing once and so it, it now defines me. And, like, I think we all, like, so strongly identify, like Liam had said earlier, like, with the orca, like, that being such a huge part of us that, um, you know, when it is that big of a part of you, if you've taken a stance, it can feel scary to to go back and be like, hey, maybe that stance wasn't totally, <laughs> totally what I thought it was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I it's guess... hard when people can be so critical of you as well, but. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because, like, I feel like people are less critical than you would think, like, when I posted the the whale watching thing, I was terrified. Like, there have been a couple episodes that I've posted that I've been like, oh, my God, like, should I have said this? And, like, on, typically on those ones, like, I end up getting positive feedback. And a lot of times, like, the people that are on the other side aren't even willing to have a conversation or they're only going to hide behind a phone screen and yell at you publicly on the Internet rather than, like, trying to have, like, a productive, like hey, let's, like, talk this out, and, like, I want to see what you think, and I want you to see what I think, and, like, let's figure out, like, what we're going to do. Because I don't think any one person has all the answers, you know? No, no one does. Yeah. No. So, yeah. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes, you know, no one person can know all the answers. It's always got to be a big piece. It's always got to be a big puzzle. Yes. Yeah, that's why it's important to collaborate, to bring different specialties and work together yes yeah okay okay i feel like we're getting a little off track so we'll get back to our q a so we did have somebody ask us um what the different ecotypes of killer whale are so there are various ecotypes but the ones that we primarily talk about they were asking the distinctions between resident and transient so the resident whales are fish eating killer whales um they hang out in matriarchal groups we they all of the ecotypes have genetic um, physiological and behavioral differences, um, which is what the distinctions in the ecotypes are. The transient killer whales, also known as the biggest killer whales, are thought to have kind of had a sporadic home range. We now see that sometimes they hang out in um, peri- or spots for longer periods of time than they used to, but this, like the residents typically have a set home range that they hang out in. Um, and then there are even distinctions between that. So for those of you that are new, obviously we're talking about the Southern residents, um, but the Northern residents are another population, um, here in this hemisphere of the world that we see. And those guys, um, primarily hang out in Canada and they are the ones that rub themselves on beaches. So anyone else have anything to add about ecotypes? There's also the offshore. Yeah, the offshore we see as well. And those are shark and ray eaters. The transients are marine mammal eaters. Which kind of um, sparks our next question, which is, have there ever been transient killer whales in captivity? And what did they eat? And so um, based on what I recall from a book that I read was that there was one of the like first whales that was captured was a transient whale and that it refused to eat and it was actually like trying to get violent with another whale um not like i mean they weren't like terribly violent but they were like raking each other and stuff um so they ended up releasing that whale because it wouldn't eat um and then shelby did some more digging um to find out more about other transient whales that have been in captivity yeah, so I'm reading a book currently as well, and it mentioned um, a whale named Canduke, um, who was actually uh, captured off the southern coast of Vancouver Island, but ended up being a transient whale. Um, and he was kind of uh, 
boated around between he was first here in Ontario at Marineland and then he was sold to SeaWorld where he went to Orlando and then the San Antonio location. Um, and I cannot find so far at least um, anything about what this whale ate to keep him alive for all these years. Um, so I can't speak to that, but some other information I found about him, which was interesting, was that um, he fathered some calves. And I know a lot of calves in captivity don't thrive for various reasons, but um, none of his calves thrived. So uh, his first calf died in the womb with its mother, who was a resident orca. So it would have been a hybrid calf. And then he had two, um, he, uh, fathered two calves that were successfully born, but the mother attacked them. And it, so there's like a few theories of, um, like, I guess there was another incident of another orca attacking another in the same like facility. So if it was a learned behavior, there was another, there's another theory that um, just because the mom was so young, she was only nine when she gave birth to the first one. So just like inexperienced and didn't know what to do or because um, she was also a transient resident hybrid and just like the whales knew something was off. So um, very interesting. There's another um, instance I found in Japan, a whale named Nami a 28-year-old transient captive whale in Japan who started out at a whale museum there in a sea pen and then was moved to a more typical captive tank. And she was classified in captivity to have very aggressive tendencies. Um, But this was likely just she was displaying her natural instinctive behaviors as a transient orca. And there's a rumor that she killed a dolphin in the facility as well. Mm. That is not shocking to hear that she killed a dolphin also i think that's like interesting too because like i mean obviously the more that we know about orcas and like one of the things that i remember watching like in blackfin or like any of the readings that i've done on captivity is that the trainers like we didn't know anything about actual orcas and now we know like i mean we as in the general public we know that they have their own dialects and like not only is that distinguished between the ecotype but it's like northern and southern residents have different dialects jk and lpod have different dialects and they've even noticed different tones within family groups and like the people at orca labs they literally recognize the sounds of specific family groups so they're not only throwing different ecotypes but like whales that don't even speak the same language basically in the same tank and then like you're gonna have this kid with like this strange whale i don't know yeah, it blows my mind, like, just how intelligent we know they are and, like, how frustrated they must be thrown into this environment with, yeah, other whales they can't even barely communicate with. Like, it's just insane. Yeah, it's like you have – it's – I'm trying to think of – I don't know if I, I – I think I wanted to nah, – I think I, I don't want to compare it to that because I don't want to uh, – no, no fire or like get the wrong idea but yeah it's just it's when you have different or when you have orcas with like completely different backgrounds you know different cultures different languages and you put them all in a tank it's like you know they're not really gonna get along with each other you know it's 
you know, there, there's, there can be, you know, scuffles and maybe even, you know, full-on violence that has happened more than once. So, yeah, it's just, yeah. it's not, well, yeah. Yeah. Well, sorry, um, we can't answer the question, but I am determined to keep looking. So if I find out, we can talk about it on a porpoiseode or something yes. and answer that. That would yes. be great. So, and also, like, I think it's just interesting. Did it end in, like, the in the calf dying? Um, yes. And it was, uh, so, okay, so sorry. So the first calf died in the womb. The second calf went on to have two of her own that she then attacked. Sorry, I don't think I told that very clearly. No, that's but, okay. So, yeah. Okay. That's interesting because, like, we don't see infanticide all that often in orcas in general. And then, I, from what I've heard, like, we didn't really see a ton of infanticide within the captive community. But I also I feel like there's so much of that story that doesn't get told that's kept under wraps because it's crazy. Um, oh, for sure. But yeah. Yeah. I heard, like, Afraid the, of the media. Yeah, like, Talequa, or not Talequa, I'm sorry. Um, what is why am I blanking on the one's name in the Miami Seaquarium? Lolita. Um, I heard oh, that yeah. she killed multiple Rizzos, which I think is interesting. Yeah, with, that might have been. Yeah, but we also see the southern residents will just like kill porpoises for fun. For fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like well. Yeah, like, and the no, I, oh sorry, I think it was like uh, in the book that I'm reading the, the one by uh, Monica. Shields, the endangered orcas book. It was they. I think it was what they found was that they. It, whenever they uh, killed the porpoise, it, uh, a porpoise, it didn't look like it was intentional. It looked like it was accidental. But yeah, they would basically just kind of toss them around for fun. Yeah. Are you, is that the book you're also reading, Shelby? No, um, I'm reading. It's like. Uh... Death at Sea World or something like Death that. Death at SeaWorld. It's like another, it's kind of like, it was by a um, journalist, kind of like a follow-up to Blackfish. Nice. Cool. Yeah, I'm thinking about reading Endangered Orca again because now, like, that was one of the first books that I read and now that I have more information about the field and I'm, I feel like I'm more in the know on what's going on, I'm curious to see how that book hits now, you know? Yeah, I want to reread it as well. Um, but yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, well, I believe that's all the questions that we had. Um, but we do have an exciting new project that we're starting today. We're so excited. Um, so we chatted about how like cool this community is of orca people and there's so many people that are doing tons of things and I think that's the thing is right now I see a lot of people like questioning like should I give up? Should I give up? The answer is no, absolutely not. Um, and we want to showcase all the awesome things that people are doing to help save the orcas. So we're starting a campaign called How I Kelp. So hashtag How I Kelp. Make a post for us. Send us a video. We do want to compile a big video at the end. Um, and we're going to have this end on Earth Hour, which I'll have Shelby talk about um, in just a second here. But show us what you're doing to help the Southern residents. And it doesn't have to be anything big. Um, we have, like, a bunch of people that are out here doing amazing stuff. If you pick up trash, if you choose not to eat salmon, like, just send us a video and show us what you're doing. Um, tag the Breaching Extinction page if you don't want to, like, 
you know, if you're a public or a private account and you don't want to share it there or whatever, and you want us to share it, just send it to us and we'll share it. But we want to compile all the videos um, together at the end and showcase all the amazing things that people are doing because I think everybody's like, hey, do we give up yet? And the answer is no, because everybody's doing so many amazing things. You just don't see it. And I think we need to highlight that in our community. So send us your videos. Yes, please. Yeah. The use hashtag how I kelp or maybe even how I kelp uh, SRKWS. Um, yeah, ta- uh, tag the uh, tag breaching extinction. If you're a private account, you could probably uh, you could probably uh, DM yeah. us directly. Uh, yeah. So yeah, we're looking really looking forward to uh, uh, sharing. You guys uh, sharing your videos, uh, and yeah, we'll make our compilation at the end. Yes. And so we're going to, that's going to end on earth hour. So Shelby, will you tell everybody what that is? Yeah. So earth hour is basically like an hour where, um, you just like shut off all your electronics, um, in an effort to conserve, um, energy. And so we're going to be running the campaign until then. And earth hour is March 27th. And it's uh, your local time from 8.30 to 9.30. So we'll probably go off of Pacific Standard Time. Um, And so we'll be ending it just before Earth Hour and then encouraging everyone to participate in Earth Hour and turn off all your electronics, read a book, talk to a friend, um, think about something else you can start implementing to make better eco-conscious choices. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So the um, the earth is a big place and we know not everyone is along the coast and it can be hard for people who are more landlocked to um, like know that they can do something to help. And we just want to encourage uh, that no matter where you are, everyone can be doing something. Yes, definitely. Yep. So that and when is which day is Earth Hour? You said it's the twenty seventh. March twenty seventh. Yes. Yeah, from eight thirty to nine thirty, right? Yes. So this yeah. will be through um, the twelfth through the twenty seventh. Um, so basically, over the next two weeks, send us a video of what you're doing. Doesn't matter how big or how small, and honestly, just like well, it'll don't be like you know self conscious about submitting it. We love that stuff, mm-hmm. and it like. And it brings our heart so much joy to see, like, all the things that people are doing, too. So, definitely just send it to us. Um, yeah. But, yeah, are as always. The, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, are we doing the t-shirt thing? Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes, I forgot. Do you want to share that? Okay. So, um, all of the entries, which we will see through you using the hashtag how I kelp and also tagging us. So, at the end on March 27th, we're going to be taking all of the entries via hashtag and entering them in a random draw, and someone will win a Breaching Extinction t shirt. Yes. And we may throw yeah. a couple little extra goodies in there. I do have some stickers now. That's mm-hmm. a thing. And they yes. are high tax, so they can go on your water bottle. And I tried to explain this to my dad. I was like, people put stickers on their water bottles. Like, I've never seen that. People don't do that. You don't need high tech stickers. I was like, they, there okay. Are people do that. That's like, what I tried to tell him. Yeah. All of the time. <laughs> yes. Um, so I ordered some high tech stickers and I need to post them on the website. I've honestly had them for about a month now and I just have been so busy that I haven't gotten around to it. But Amazing. maybe a sticker will be in I there. Or maybe stickers Ooh. for like, you know, second and third place videos too so 
Yes. Yeah, I definitely, I need, I definitely need a sticker to uh, stick on my car. Yes. Amazing. Um, but yes, guys, participate in this. We definitely appreciate it. Hashtag how I kelp, as always, interact with us on social media. If you guys liked this episode, um, feel free to send us more questions or send us a message with your questions. Um, and if we get enough questions, we'll do another one of these. But we hope you guys have a whale of a week and we can't wait to see what you guys come up with. Okay, bye. 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 bye.